Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope, that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. So, so write down the title of today's conversation for me. Here's what it is. It's how did I end up in darkness? How did I end up in darkness? And the darkness we're going to talk about today, maybe if you want to write it in the margin, is dealing with depression. Dealing with this thing that maybe we've walked through a little bit in our life. Maybe we've actually been diagnosed that we deal with this. Whatever it is today, I promise you there is no darkness too dark. There is no darkness too scary or full of fear that the light of Jesus cannot shine and bring freedom and healing and hope to you today. So that's the first thing I got to get you to understand this morning is that there is always hope. There is hope for you today. You are not too far gone. You are not too sick. You are not too lost. God shows up right where you're at to bring the light of the world that has a name and that name is Jesus to you today. We say it this way, hope is not something we're chasing as in a feeling or an emotion. Hope has a name and that name is Jesus. And so we celebrate him. So everything that I'm talking about today is made possible because of Jesus, because of the love of God shown here on this earth through his son, Jesus, who gave his life for you and me and conquered death so that we could be forgiven and set free. But here's the thing, depression comes out of a lot of things in our life that attack us, right? Whether it is our insecurities that we feel about ourselves, whether it's loss of a family member or a friend and walking through tremendous grief, when it's feeling like we are just not up to what everyone else is and, and we feel like we don't have the life everyone else has and we feel like we're less, we feel like we're incomplete, we feel like we're lacking. And sometimes bad news contributes to that, right? Like we just walked through another week of, you know, the news says one thing and people panic, right? Like the headline up on the screen, all about the, the gas shortage that happened, right? Like you got people lining up at the gas station, the gas station near my house ran out of gas like in a day. Then you see the pictures of people online, like filling up plastic bags so they can take gas home. It's just crazy, right? And that can build our stress, that can build our fear, that can build our anxiety. This one didn't really matter to me too much because I'm like, uh, you know, gas, it'll come back. I got a bike. I can walk. It's okay. But that's the one that really built some depression in my life. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it like, came out this headline that Chick-fil-A was running out of sauce. And I'm like, no, you're not Chick-fil-A. That's important. I can't deal with that. All right. Uh, my sandwich, my nuggets, my fries, they need that stuff. Right. Like we can't, we can't go through this dry. We need the sauce. Right. So this is the one that really stressed me out a lot. Okay. I'm just going to be real with you. But here's what I want to talk about today is really lean into some things that I believe will help you. Would you write this down for me? I want you to understand this morning is that depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It's a signal. See what the enemy, and when I say the enemy, I mean the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, whether you believe in him or not, he exists and he's always trying to attack you and hurt you. And one of the things he would try to get you to believe, even through medical things we talk about here on the earth, is that there's something wrong with you, that you are a malfunction, that you are broken. And that depression is a malfunction of your mind, but really I believe, and what studies have shown is that it's a signal. It's a signal that something in your life is broken, not you. It's a signal that some situation or the way you're processing something or how your schedule looks, it's a signal that maybe things are not good. And if it's a signal, it can show us where to go. If it's a signal, it can show us the direction we need to go to find healing. 
to know that it's not necessarily a malfunction, but it might be actually God speaking to us and say, hey, the reason things don't feel right right now, the reason you feel depressed is because things aren't right. We've gotta get things back aligned. We've gotta get you back on track. We've gotta, you've gotta follow the signal that I'm showing you. Here's a signal I want you to see today. And I want you to lean into this, is that my illness is not my identity. What we've been really freeing people up to understand is that when we talk about mental health, when we talk about insecurity and depression and anxiety and anger and addiction, all these things, that's not who you are. I want you to know that today, all right? Like your illness is not your identity. Like let me show you a picture really quick, just a little object lesson. It's Now, throw it up on the screen. Now, how many of you guys see a number in the middle of that? Okay, almost all of us. You know who doesn't see a number in the middle of that circle? Me. You know why? It's because I'm colorblind and I can't see. I think it's seven. I, I, I have to ask someone earlier, like, is, what number is on there? They said it's 74. I think that's right. But all of you raise your hand that you could see something. I can't see it because there's something with the way my brain is wired. There's something with the way my vision works that I can't actually see what that number is. I took this test way back when I was in second grade and failed it. And I, we realized that I had what's called color blindness or color resistance to certain shades. Now, I don't think you're going to think less of me because of that. You're not going to say, oh, that guy, he can't see that number. So, whoo, he is awful. He needs to get some help. It's because you know that even though it might be something I'm dealing with, it's not my identity, right? I want you to know today that maybe you have walked with the label of depression over your life. That is not your identity. That is not who you are. That is not the label or name God has given you this morning. Here is the label and name that God gives you. It's reminded to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. It says, at last we have, say it with me, at last we have freedom. That's the label for you today. Come on, William Wallace. Mel Gibson, Braveheart, freedom, right? That is what we have. For Christ, for Jesus has set us free. We must always cherish this truth, not this happy idea, not this maybe it might work out. No, we're celebrating and cherishing this truth and firmly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. That's what I want to speak over you today, that you are free. It's true because Jesus said it's true. And today we actually have the decision-making power inside of our life to not go back anymore, to not go back to the past, that you could actually walk out, maybe not fully healed, but at least one step closer to freedom, at least on the right track again, at least knowing you have a community where you can belong before you believe, where you're part of a community where it's not about having it all together. It's really realizing that we're all a mess, but Jesus has turned it into a message to impact our lives and comfort other people that if I can get through this, so can you. And what I wanna give you today is, again, the answer to that question, how did I end up in darkness? How did I get here? Because if we don't know how we got here, we don't know how to get back. Last thing I want you to write down before we pray and jump into the heart of the message is, is knowing how we got lost helps us find our way back home. If I can teach you today and show you clarity on how you got here, it means you can backtrack through those steps and get home. When we first moved to Tampa, uh, I realized quickly, like after a few months of living here, I had no idea how to get anywhere. Here's why. Because I kept just typing addresses into my into my maps, right? Like, oh, I gotta go here, cool. And then I realized like, man, I don't know how to get anywhere and I've lived here for like almost six months. What is happening, right? And I realized, okay, I gotta put the phone away for a little while and actually maybe take some wrong turns and remember where I'm at. But there's one button that I always use when I'm, when I'm heading back home, right? And it's the button that literally says home. Plug my address into maps and I just tap on home and it takes me where I need to go. Not just because I need to know where I'm going, but also because what I love about it is it tells me how long it's gonna get there. 
right? And I believe today that what I want to give you is that the gift of a home button that you can push today that shows you how to get back home and even maybe gives you a timeline of how to get there, of knowing that if I'm checking these boxes, if I'm fixing and, and finding solutions with these things, maybe I can find healing again. Maybe I can find freedom. And we're really going to unpack a Bible character that walked through depression in his life. What I love about the Bible is it tells us about people who are imperfect, who are broken, who are messed up. Listen, the Bible does have a ton of heroes in it, but it's got some jacked up people in it, which is why it's encouraging to me, thousands of years later realizing, oh, this guy's written about in the Bible and he's messed up. Maybe there's some hope for me. There is hope for me. There is hope for you. There is hope for all of us because that hope has a name and that name is Jesus. Come on, if you believe that today, give me a shout. Let's go, let's go. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and really just invite God into this place. Man, God, I'm so thankful for every single person here. God, you're thankful that they're here. You know this is a big step to be at church, whether it's their first time or hundredth time. This is a big decision to be here in life-giving community where they can find hope and healing. So I just pray a special prayer of blessing over every person here, but also that we would simply surrender in these next 20 to 25 minutes to open our hearts and lean into you. I gotta pray that you'd be in this room truly help us find freedom and healing this morning. Gotta pray for all our local kids next door. Be in that room as well. Help them know that Jesus loves them and God, that you love them and they can have fun in their relationship with you. And even at this young age, we'd build a foundation of Jesus and love and forgiveness and freedom for them as well. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you again. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. All right, let's get this going. Yeah, you clap your hands. We do that a lot here, just so you know. I say this all the time, and we're, we're slowly starting to get it. I'm, my, my love language is words of affirmation, so anytime a good clap or amening or like, that was good, that really helps me because I feel loved when I'm driving home. So if you help me out today, that would be great. But also, it's because this is a conversation, not, not just me talking at you. It's us talking together as God brings us a life-giving message. So as I talked about before, there's some characters in, in the Bible who are a little bit messed up, and, and he's actually one of the greatest characters in the Bible. It's a guy by the name of Elijah. He, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he is actually really significant. He did some of the most amazing, incredible miracles that you see in all of Scripture. We're going to talk about those in just a second. But also he was important even after he kind of went to heaven is that there's a moment in Jesus' life called the Transfiguration where two Old Testament characters are invited to hang out with Jesus here on earth, and one is Moses and one is Elijah. So we can see as Elijah probably the greatest prophet, which a prophet was someone who pointed people back to God through their teachings, through the voice of God, and also through miracles on display. But Elijah definitely had some issues. Uh, Elijah, definitely was a Elijah definitely was a mess and needed, to, needed God to step into his life. In the chapter that we're going to read, I've got to give you some context to what's happening. So right before we're going to see Elijah having this depressive dark conversation with himself, he performs two of the most amazing things we see in Scripture. One of them is he goes up against 850 prophets of Baal. Now, Baal was just a, a, idol, a worshipped idol back in the day that was just a horrible, evil way of living. And all these prophets of Baal rallied up against Elijah, and it was just Elijah, in, in this effort to prove whose God was real. And what happens is, Elijah takes this sacrifice to the altar, covers it in water, soaks it, and then prays to God, and God sends fire from heaven, soaks up this sacrifice altar that's been soaking wet, but also because God doesn't mess with evil stuff, he uh, burns up all the prophets too. So one guy, Elijah, with the power of God, had victory over these 850 prophets of this evil God who wasn't real, called Baal. And then just after that, 
the nation at that time is going through a seven-year drought, and they had been praying for rain. And Elijah goes up to the mountain and begins to pray for rain. The Bible tells us that he gets on his knees and begins to pray that God would move and God would bring rain. His servant sees like a tiny little cloud way out in the distance and says, Hey, Elijah, something's happening over there. Looks like 5% rain on my app here. Looks like something's coming. It's kind of small, but Elijah says, Nope, God's answering our prayer. And he brought rain. Just after that is where we're going to pick up Elijah's story. And it's amazing how you can go from the mountaintop to the valley pretty quickly when the wrong thing gets into your heart and mind. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 says this, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now, I know we got some pregnancies here in the church. I would not recommend the names Ahab and Jezebel ever for your child, all right? Just don't do that to him. Uh, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Anybody ever prayed this prayer before? I've had enough, Lord. Take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I'm sure a lot of us have been to the point in life where we've said, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. God, I've especially had enough with you because I can't do this anymore. Where are you in these moments? Notice how quickly we can go from victory to defeat simply by believing a message that was a lie. Notice it wasn't Jezebel that came to Elijah and said, hey, I'm going to kill you because of what you've done. She simply sent a message that began to seep in and began to poison his mind and his heart that, hey, people are after you. You're not good enough because there's no way that you can save yourself. And even all these great things that you've done, you still haven't impacted me, so I'm out here to hurt you. And all of it was a lie, and it was just a message. I think one of the biggest things we can begin to believe is messages that God didn't send us. We can begin to believe messages that maybe our friends have sent us, or social media has sent us, or our parents have sent us from way back when, that we are less, that we are nothing, that we are not worth it. And that which builds the depression in our mind. We begin to believe messages that are not true. When God is saying, hey, I know they've said all that stuff, and that's real. Listen, what has happened to you and what's been said to you is real. I'm not making light of that. But it holds no power to what God has said about you and to who God has created you to be and how much you are worth worthy and how much value you have in the eyes of God. That is who you are today. That is the message that we hold on to. But, but we live here on this earth, and this earth is not perfect. And so things are going to happen. And so what I want to give you is spiritual things that I do believe we see in 1 Kings chapter 19, but also that align with what science is studying right now as well with what counselors and therapists are seeing in their depression, clients, and all of that, we actually see exactly the way out through Scripture. So let me, I'm going to give you these six really quick, all right? So, and it's going to answer the question, how did I end up here? How did I end up here in darkness, Ryan? I want to give you the answers today. The first one is life imbalances. Now, we just came out of a collection of talks in April where we talked about eliminating hurry in our life. And that whole month, if you, if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to those talks. Because it talks about how when we get our life all imbalanced, it really does mess everything up. What studies are showing now is we've heard this phrase for a long time. They just have a chemical imbalance, right? And we prescribe prescriptions for that. And, and again, I'm not negating any of that. 
But what scientists and, and, and social workers are studying now are seeing that it's not so much chemical stuff that is a factor, but what's even more contributing is life imbalances. Being too busy, doing too much stuff that drains you, that doesn't fill you, living up to all this pressure of trying to perform and achieve and be accepted. It's life imbalances that are messing us up. What we talked about in the elimination of hurry is that nobody rests anymore. Nobody takes a break from doing and slows down and simply remembers that we're not human doings, we're human beings. And it's so important in the way that we live. And I was a youth pastor for a long time, and one of the things that we did when I was in youth group was we went on ski trips. And what would happen, because obviously it doesn't snow here in Florida, if you didn't know that, and so we would travel up to like the West Virginia area, we'd go skiing on mountains, and most of us, since we were from Florida, had never, not, not even not been skiing before, but had never seen snow. And so they had the bright idea of let's take like 50 high schoolers up to a ski lodge and let's put them on the snow that they've never seen before and put them on wooden sticks that they've never been on before and ski down the mountain. Now, I remember being like, people trust me to do this? Like, I am, I, this is a deadly weapon, me going down this hill. Because I'm not the guy that's going to hop on the bunny slopes. I'm going to like the Black Diamond. Who cares if it's my first time? I'm going down. If I take people out with, out with me, that's okay. All right? Now, when I was was, when I was a youth pastor, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't handle the stress of this anymore, right? So I canceled that. But when I, was in, when I was in high school going, one of the days we got to talk to a ski instructor, right? And, and he was talking about, hey, you got to be careful. And I know we haven't, we haven't learned this. And he's like, well, you don't have to be careful right now. You got to be careful towards the end of the trip. Because what's going to happen is, at the end of the day, you're going to get a little bit confident. You're going to get a little bit like, hey, I can do this. But you're also going to get tired. And he was telling us that the majority of ski accidents happen at the end of the day because people are two things, overconfident and overtired. Man, does that not speak to our life imbalances? Oh, I can do this on my own. I got this. Look at me. I just did that slope and didn't fall. <laughs> Look at me. I got this. Second thing, I'm too tired. Oh, but I got to go down. People are still going. I got to go too. Like people, I don't want to get left out. I don't want that. I don't need that FOMO in my life. Right? I don't want to miss out. Overtired, overconfident. And it imbalances in our life. That man, yeah, we, we can't do everything, and we shouldn't. And we need to slow down and rest. Good sleep is a good idea. In a study about depression, uh, an author writes this quote that I wanted to share with you today. I think there's a blank for you to fill in. It says, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food-laden, sleep-deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. Man, if there is a quote to describe 2020, I just gave it to you, all right? We were never meant for sedentary, sitting at home, inside, isolated from all of our friends and family, fast food laden, Uber Eats every day, sleep deprived, binging every show on Netflix, ones that we don't even like, but we gotta finish it because we started it, and a frenzied pace of all the stuff we have to quote unquote do of modern life. All those are contributing factors to what imbalances our life. But here is the gift the Bible gives us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, here is what God tells us. It's better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with work and chasing the wind. Now, we would say, in our, on our earthly perspective, if one good thing is good, then two good things is better. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's like one hand that's full of contentment and full of quietness before the Lord, full of purpose and significance, than trying to fill both. Because what does it say? Trying to fill two is like working and chasing the wind. If you've ever seen someone chase the wind, it's pretty dumb looking because they're just chasing something they'll never catch, right? And so for us, it's the same thing. We're chasing things that we probably never will catch. What is success? What is acceptance? What is 
you know, enough followers? What is enough money, right? If it doesn't satisfy you now, you're always going to chase it, and it imbalances who we are. And so listen, I want to give you permission today, have that one handful, that you are created with purpose, that you are doing meaningful work, that you're a part of an amazing community, that God is with you and he's on your side, and you know what? Whatever he puts in this hand is okay, but if it's free to rest and let go, that's okay too. Let's go to number two. Number two is comparing yourself with others. I mean, this is pretty easy for us to understand because all we have to do is look at how we feel when we scroll through social media on a day and like, oh, wow, I didn't get to do that. Man, my life must be awful. My kids don't look that happy. Man, I must be a horrible parent, man. Oh, I don't get to go on those vacations or comparing ourselves with the relationships and stuff other people have. Can I tell you today, we believe this, that one day we're gonna stand before God. The day that we pass away and move on to eternity, we're gonna stand before God. You know what God's not gonna say? Hey, you really didn't have as much as you're the person next to you. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't have as much. Or you didn't do, you didn't do what, what that influencer told you to do, right? Or your neighbor, their kids were super happy and yours are crazy. Like, I'm a little upset with you. No, all God is going to say is, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? I don't care about anything. I don't care about anybody else. This moment's between me and you. What did you do with the life that I gave you? What decisions did you make with the life that I gave you? Because I entrusted you things that were valuable even though you couldn't see it because you were so focused on everything else. I gotta be honest, this is something I deal with, everybody. I deal with comparing myself all the time. Do you know when I deal with it? Sunday afternoons on the drive home because we'll have an awesome day in church. Like, yes, what a day. And then I'll scroll through and some of my other pastor friends are like, oh, oh, we didn't have that kind of day though. Or, man, what? Oh, I'm awful. Oh, that was a much better message than I should have given that one. And then I speak every Sunday too. So it's like, I should have said this, or they didn't laugh at that joke. I'm the worst. I'm, the, I'm not funny. Like, oh, they didn't like say that. No one told me I did a good message at the end of the day. I'm not preaching enough, doing good things. I'm the worst, right? We begin to compare ourselves with others. Now, I know I'm saying that out loud, and it sounds a little crazy. It's the, it's the tricks our mind play on us. I've heard a quote before that comparison is the thief of joy. Do you know how many times I've gotten in my car so full of joy that was an amazing day, and then in five minutes it's been robbed because I'm comparing? How many times have you been so excited about your day, about your family, about your job, about your life, and then you see someone on, their, on social media like, oh, I didn't have that though. Meh. I'm the worst. I have no joy. Don't let comparison rob you of your joy. Know that God created you. He knows your name, and he's placed you in your life. And we just take ownership of that. Let's go to the next thing. The third one, this is really important, is ruminating and self-talk. Um, now, this is actually something that scientists talk about a lot when it comes to depression, and it's the way that we talk to ourselves. And they use the word ruminating because they are referring to what's called a ruminating animal. Now, if you don't know what a ruminating animal is, they're pretty majestic, they're really beautiful, and they're just really an amazing part of nature. It's this animal right here. Um, now that's a, a cow, and I, I love cows. I wasn't making fun of cows or anything like that, but they're called what's a ruminating animal because what's in his mouth right there is called chewing the cud. And so what he does is he eats his grass, chews it up, swallows it, throws it up, chews it some more, swallows it again, throws it up again, and chews it some more. Now some of you are like, please don't say that. I'm, I, my gag reflex is going a little crazy right now. But that's what this animal does. They say we do it the same way with our thoughts and what people say to us. How, how often have you had one person say something to you and you've ruminated on it? And who knows that just like that chewing the cud, it doesn't get better the second time it comes up. Like I still remember things that people said to me years ago that were hurtful and it keeps coming back up 
and it does not it doesn't taste better the second time when someone calls you like like that you're ugly or that you didn't do a good job or that your your life is not worth anything or you're not as good as that doesn't come back when it comes back the second time it's like oh that was really helpful. You know, that was a really helpful thing to say. No, it's like, no, it's worse. It's more bitter. It's more poisonous. It's more gross and toxic because that's what ruminating does. And so for us, we've got to realize that the way we talk to ourselves is actually extremely, extremely important. An author by the name of Brian Tracy says this. He says that 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. Some of the ways we talk to ourselves, we would not even say to our worst enemy, Right? And 95% of the way that we talk to ourselves is going to determine our emotions because that voice is actually really important. I would say the most important voice in your life is God's. That is like 110%. There's no arguing that. I would tell you the second most important voice is yours and how you speak to yourself because if it's a lie against what God says, you're always going to believe that. If it's not in line with who God says you are, it's always going to be destructive to who you are. 95% of your emotions, not necessarily based on your relationships, not based on your success, not based on what you're doing, but based on what the things are that you say to yourself first thing in the morning. Man, can we begin to not ruminate anymore, but can we begin to talk to ourselves the way God does, where he says, hey, you're my son and daughter first. You have purpose and and life inside of you. Jesus gave his life for you, so you you have worth and you have value. Yes, you've messed up. You've made mistakes, but I've made a way for you to be forgiven and set free. Let's not ruminate anymore. Let's just, what I would call what the scripture says, to meditate on what God says about us. To turn off everything else, all the voices, all the sounds, and just meditate on scriptures like this that say, God, you created me. I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. God, I was made in the image of God. Jesus gave his life for me. While I was still a sinner, Jesus, you gave your life for me. And I have hope today. I'm forgiven and set free. That's who I am. That is what brings life. That is what can bring you out of the darkness into the light. The, the, the next one I think is really key is, is the inability to process pain in a healthy way. The inability to process pain in a healthy way. And now here's why this, this community is so important. Here's why white church is so important. Because I can't, what I'm going to tell you today is when you walk out of that door, pain will happen at some point in your life. It's just a given. You're going to be hurt by people, by yourself, and by situations. And God never says anything different. He doesn't say, come to me and your life will be pain-free forever. It's not how it works, because he knows we're still living this life. And one of the most amazing things about Jesus is that Jesus processed pain in a healthy way so we can have an example to look to in our life. That it says that it's not just in the greatness of Jesus that we can relate. The Bible tells us that it's his, in his weakness we can relate to him as well. When he felt like giving up, when he felt pain and betrayed and left out by other people, we can identify with that because he knows what it's like to feel those things. But he processed pain in a healthy way. So really, what the, God is not trying to necessarily always protect us from things, right? Because we have to grow up. We have to mature. We have to begin to live as adults, the Bible tells us. But what he does want to help you to do is process pain in a healthy way. What he does want to help you do is realize, yes, pain is going to come, but your response to it rather than your reaction to it is going to be key. I think about this when, my, when I tell you guys this all the time. When I lost my, when my dad passed away when I was 26, 27 years old, that was a really difficult time. And I could not figure out how to process this pain. I had never experienced loss like that. It was sudden. It was someone who was the closest family member and closest friend I had in my life. It was at a really horrible time for him to die because Adrian and I were engaged. We were about to be married. 
He was my best man. All these things were horrible. And there was no way I could, could figure out, I could be overconfident, I can figure this out, but it wouldn't work. And I had an inability to process pain in a healthy way. But one of the, most, one of the immediate things I did was to realize I cannot do this on my own. I need, to do, I need to do some grief counseling. I need to learn how to process through these five stages of grief. And I need to talk to someone how I'm feeling. And in those grief sessions, I've gotten some of the most amazing things that have been foundational blocks for my relationship with God. Number one, first meeting, counselor looked me in the eyes and said, hey, do you believe God is big enough for, to handle your anger? Yeah, I do. Then just be angry with him. He can handle it. Do you believe God is big enough to handle your, your grief? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, be angry with him first. Tell him why, because you know, you, it's hard, it's difficult. You don't know why this happened. But then also, in your anger, cry with him as well and find grief there with him as well and begin to process with him. And that's so freeing to me today because I know when things happen, when I go through pain, I can go to God, God, why is this happening? And I know he's big enough to stay with me, to not turn his back on me, to not get upset with me and point the finger and say, hey, don't you know what I've done for you? No, hey, I'm with you. We're going to figure this out. I have done some things for you, but what I'm doing for you right now is really important. We process pain. Like I think about my son Shepard, uh, I have a picture to show of you because to show you because I mean come on look at that face look at that that is uh, I love Shepard so much it's my son and uh, yesterday I got to uh, treat him to like one of my childhood joys which was the the neighborhood ice cream truck I didn't even know they existed anymore but the other day I heard it going down the street I'm like that's they're still playing the same song like when I was five years old they're still playing that same song so it's like ingrained in my mind I know ice cream truck I know where that is mom dad give me cash well my mom dad don't live with me anymore so I can't get cash from them but I wanted to I want to share that experience with Shepard but we missed it uh and but yesterday he was coming by I heard him down down the street and I'm like Shepard we gotta go get some ice cream and so we ran out and we he picked out a little like Tweety Bird popsicle thing that he liked uh and I don't know if I don't know if he liked it he licked it like a hundred times though um but it was really a fun experience but but where we're standing is at the end of our driveway and what I've learned about Shepard is man he loves his freedom and sometimes when we're outside, and I've told you this story before, he loves just to run to the street. He loves to run away. But something happens every now and then on our driveway that causes him to turn right back and run back to mommy, right back to daddy. Because he knows where he, what he's going to find is arms wrapped around him, someone to wipe his tears, and someone to simply hold him. And it's when he's running away in his freedom and is wanting to do things his own way, when he's running down our concrete driveway and trips and falls and scrapes his knee. Immediately like, yay, road, turns into owl mommy, our daddy. And that's exactly what God does for you. Like, yeah, we're going to run. Oh God, I can do this on my own. Here we go. And we trip and fall and we call out. And the Bible tells us that God's always going to answer. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Man, that's one of the best ways we can process pain in our life. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse four says this, it says, God comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others. Like God's comforts, comforting you right now. He's speaking to your heart. He's speaking to your mind. He's speaking to your soul so that we can comfort others. Uh, a, a little while ago, uh, someone that goes to our church introduced me to this book uh, called Man's Search for Meaning by a guy named Viktor Frankl. And with this guy, he, he studied people who had been through the Holocaust and how they were processing through the trauma they experienced. And what he realized is, and it's in direct contradiction to maybe a philosopher and thinker where, more, uh, where we know more, and completely in contradiction to what Freud says, where life is all about pleasure, right? Like life is about seeking pleasure and enjoyment. Frankl says, no, life is about searching for meaning. And when you find meaning, you can face anything. And so what he began to see in the studies that he was doing is that the people that found meaningful work in their life were able to process the 
pain and trauma of the Holocaust, one of the most evil things anyone's ever walked through, they were able to process through it simply because they knew even though they had walked through pain, there was now purpose in it because they were, to help, they were able to help and comfort others. It's why we talk about Growth Track every Sunday. Growth Track is not an announcement. Growth Track is to let you know that you belong here in this community, that we wanna help you heal, we wanna help you find freedom. But the thing that is even bigger than that is helping you find purpose. To know that there's been purpose in your pain all along. To know that you can help comfort people with what you do on a Sunday morning because it's not just doing church, it's inviting people to experience God and make life-changing friends where they can find the freedom and healing they've been looking for it so that you can comfort others in the same way God has comfort, comforted you. It's so that we can grow on track together. And it doesn't matter if you're doing something on stage from speaking or singing to playing an instrument or you're parking cars or you're making coffee or you're setting up chairs. It all contributes to this one message that there is always hope for you. Yeah, we've walked through some pain, but there is always hope. Come on, make the decision today. If you're looking for community, if you're looking for meaningful work to help you process your pain, come to Growth Track today. It's 15 minutes long. I want to help you. I want to invite you into this church, and I want to let you know all the, ans all, the uh, all the answers to the questions you may have, but also we want to help you find purpose in your life. Last two are this. Number five is isolation and loneliness. That one's easy. We realize that we cannot find freedom on our, on our own. We is always better than me, and I want you to know that today. One of the biggest things that the enemy can trick you into is to keeping your thing a secret. If you keep your secret in the dark, it only gets stronger. But, but secrets and, and mistakes and hurts and depression, man, it, it cannot stand against the light of the world that is Jesus. And I don't, you don't have to get up here like, you know, and say, hi, my name is, and I struggle with depression. No, you don't have to do that. But you do gotta get around some people that you can say, hey, uh, this is what I'm dealing with. And they can say, you know what? I've walked through that. Let me, here's what helped me. You're not isolated anymore. See, Growth Track helps us get on teams where we can serve together, but we also have conversations as we're serving. How you doing? How was your week? Oh, it was rough. Oh man, can I pray for you right now? Yeah, let's do that. It's so important, especially as we lean, move into summertime to find those anchor points of community. We don't have to walk through life isolated and lonely. And man, the sixth one, I, I think it's the only one that scientific studies don't talk about. But it's really where I believe the church has to step in and talk more about it. And it's this idea of spiritual warfare. Now, I want you to know today that this isn't something to be weirded out by. It's just a reality that if we believe in God, that we were made in his image, that we are spiritual beings, there is good and evil spiritual things that are attacking us every day. Like again, you know, our house, we're walking through a lot of sickness recently, it was tough. Adrian was knocked out for days. She's here today, she's feeling good, amen. But even during that time, I was like, you know what, this isn't just like a sickness thing. I really do believe, because again, I know we were talking about something very important today. I believe the enemy is just trying to attack us and get us discouraged and, get, and to take us out. It's why Adrian and I are really intentional about praying for and, and doing preventative things that keep our marriage healthy and strong because we know that if the enemy takes out through the spiritual warfare in our marriage, if he takes us out, he takes our family out, he takes our church out, and it's just not worth it. And it's worth it to know that, man, there's warfare out there and we have to stand strong. Think about it this way. If I were to tell you this, hey, tonight, someone is coming to your house and they are going to come into your house, they're gonna steal your family, with only destruction on their mind, to hurt your family, to take your family, to really just, again, bring evil destruction to your house. You'd probably lock your door, if you don't already at night, which you should. Uh, 
you'd probably stay up all night. And for those of us who carry, we'd probably make sure we're locked and loaded and ready to go for when we hear those footsteps on the door, right? Here's the thing. If I were to tell you that in the earthly sense, you would do all those things. I'm telling you in the spiritual sense right now. And some of us, we won't lock our door. We won't stay awake. And we won't use the spiritual arsenal that God's given us to fight this warfare. So I want you to, this is the last thing I want to give you today as we close, is that because of Jesus, we have freedom and authority. Now we just have to use it. It's when that evil thoughts of depression come into your life. You gotta lock the door and say, you know what? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God is proud of me. God's with me. I was worth so much to God that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for me and conquer sin and death so that I could find freedom and healing. Yes, you're right, voice. I have messed up. I have made mistakes, but it's in that mistakes and it's in that sin that God forgave me and freed me and set me back on track. We're gonna stay awake. We're gonna be alert knowing that the enemy, he walks around. The Bible tells us he's walking around prowling like a lion. When I watch lions on National Geographic, when they're hunting like gazelle or whatever, they don't walk up like super loud. Here I come, I'm coming to eat you and kill you. No, they lay down in the grass where you can't see them. They stay quiet. That's what happens with the depression voices in our life. It hides in things that we've been comfortable with. The lion hides in the grass, which I'm pretty sure sometimes these gazelle eat that stuff. So sometimes it's where you're getting some sort of satisfaction. The enemy's actually hiding in that and and he's gonna take you out there. And then we have to realize that, man, the arsenal that we have is simply speaking the name of Jesus over our life, over our house. You may say, you know what, Ryan, I don't know how to, I don't know how to pray like you. I'm just, I'm just getting into this Jesus thing. You're right. Maybe, maybe prayer is something you learn and you begin to grow in. It's just like you practice and you get better at it. Here's the thing that you all have, though, that I have too. That when those problems arise, when fear begins to trickle in, when that depression begins to trickle in again, you know what you can say? Man, and Jesus. Jesus, I need you. In Jesus' name, I know I'm healed and I'm free. And you speak the name of Jesus over these things. Because what does the Bible say? That all who call on the name of Jesus can and will be saved. You have freedom. You have authority in your life today. Now you just have to use it. It's there for you. God's offering it to you right now in this moment. Now you just have to use it. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet as we close today and just remain in an attitude of prayer? Thank you so much for joining us on The Local Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to local.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.